Driving the outcome you want. Imagine if that head trash was not there. Who would you be? What if I told you those fears were no longer a problem? What would you do? I'm Stephanie Costello, a mom of three, wife, and avid mountaineer. Beyond all of these, I am, very much like you, an average person trying to navigate this thing we call life. My goal with this podcast is to bring to light the truth about what intimacy really is. You may smile, feel called out, or learn something new. Either way, you will learn you are in control. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Elaine Martinez, a 48-year-old wife of 16 years and a mother of a 9-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. She has worked for 20-plus years in healthcare as a medical sales professional and is a loyal and committed individual who works with women's sexual health as an advocate, helping couples embrace intimacy. All right, all right. Welcome to the Intimacy Truths Podcast, where we have Elaine here to talk to us about driving the outcomes that you want. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. You are very welcome. Oh, that makes me so happy that you're happy to be here. So I incredibly excited to have you here. um, And I'm incredibly excited to share your story and your journey with others. One of the things that um, makes me really happy about having you here is that you are still here and that you're able to have these conversations with us. Um, So I'd love for you to share your experience on driving the outcomes that you want and it just never being a question. I've known you for a couple of years now and the two of us are very similar in the sense of when we get our mind to something like there's no question about it happening or not. It's already, it's already have, has happened, honestly. Right. So tell us, tell us where your journey began in the last um, year or so and what it's been like for you. Yeah. I, oh my goodness. I can't even say it's been a year. Um, as you said, we've known each other for a while. I am, and most people, um, including my husband, usually categorize me as a very driven type A woman. Yeah. Um, I know what I want and I go after it and generally get it, including my husband. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I would say in relation to our discussion today, um, in late 2020, and actually it was the day after Thanksgiving, um, I started having some health problems. And as, you know, women, we generally, and, and mothers, um, and we generally put things off or like, okay, I know something's going on, but it, it has to be something else. It's probably this, it's probably that. Um, so I, I was kind of just listening to my body after I was having some symptoms um, persist for a while. And couple months later, after going back and forth with the doctor, um, you know, checking on some things, it winds up, I was diagnosed with stage three metastatic um, ovarian cancer. Mm. So it came on pretty quickly and was very aggressive. And with that change um, to my health um, and to my life, it's one of those big life changes. You know, they talk about, you know, marriage, death, births as being the big three um, life-changing events, but having a diagnosis of a critical, you know, disease 
is, is one of those factors as well. And I think it, it rates pretty high up um, on that list of the triad. I'm not trying to get the death part. <laughs> right. So, you know, making sure that doesn't happen. So, you know, I, I needed to refocus and change a lot of my um, thinking to make sure, you know, when I got this diagnosis, your head spins, of course. Um, you're, you think the worst, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and where I'm, I'm very much an optimist and can find a silver lining in anything, mm-hmm. um, including COVID, um, because of the situation, there was a silver lining for our family and myself. Um, I, I knew that I had to beat this. Mm-hmm. There was no give me a prognosis doctor. It's I'm going to beat this. And so, you know, what did I need to do um, to drive that result of getting better and, you know, being there to see my children grow up mm-hmm. if possible. And, you know, heaven helps me there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, thank you for sharing. And I want to go back to uh, critical versus what I would like to add is, is chronical or chronic, chronic, critical versus chronic. Um there's, you know, I want people to know that if, even if you don't have a critical, you know, potentially life ending condition, chronic conditions are also potentially life altering. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And so they both really go hand in hand. Um, and, and then to take it a step deeper, how you approach each of those type of diagnosis, um, it cognitively, emotionally, uh, is, is really important because in order to get to that next step, in order to believe in with our soul, uh, I think to bringing back to, you know, us two as women, I'm, I'm, I think I would be classified as a type A, but I'm more of an introvert than you are. You're definitely the extrovert. And I'm like the introvert version of like our personalities. <laughs> I'm your yin to your yang. It's yeah, all good. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And, um, uh, where was I going with that? The, total brain fart there that's with being type a oh yes yeah getting done so the belief thank you the belief of getting things done like there i don't i couldn't even really tell you what it is so maybe you can maybe share tell the listeners what it is maybe you can share your experience on this but there's a once i get this information my husband says i just jump off the cliff and i build the the safety net on the way down where he like figures out the safe way to get down and we both get there in this you know at the same destination but his takes longer than mine usually um and so it's like there's just there's this knowing there's this sense of knowing and a sense of belief that whatever is happening whatever is going to happen whatever is in this situation, I will get to a destination and there's no questions asked. Um, so how, tell me what your journey has been like in that area of your life. So, um, and it's, it's, I don't know if it's a good or a bad. So um, career wise, I'm in the healthcare industry. So I'm an, and I have a science um, background. So mm-hmm you know, I kind of understand and need to understand for the things that I don't know, why things happen, how they happen, or what I need to do, like mechanisms of actions and things like that. So um, I think that helped me along the way. But it's not something that someone who doesn't have a medical background cannot empower themselves to find out or ask. Mm -hmm. And I would highly recommend that for, um, Anything that you're facing that is life altering, 
at whether it's health, whether it's job, um, you know, careers, it can be any scope of things, but to narrow it down to, you know, knowing what you're going up against. And I guess I'm kind of like your husband in that, like I am a, one of those do's and don'ts or pros and cons, and I make Mm. lists and checklists um, and really knowing like, okay, um, whether it's fortunately or unfortunately having um, people in my close inner circle who are cancer survivors or are going through it themselves, which they still are cancer survivors. Um, I believe that wholeheartedly from day one, you are a survivor um, of your diagnosis. If not before, you just didn't know it. Um, (laughs) So um, really just looking at that bigger picture of what do I need to do? These people who are here to help me, um, who, who should they be? Who do I need to reach out to mm. and how can they assist and, and helping educate them to, as to what's going to happen. Um, so in my situation with my health, I was just very vocal from day one with my meeting with my oncologist. Um, I was like, I don't know if they warned you about me, but I need to know everything. So um, but he loves that about me. So it was all good. Yeah. And he's an amazing doctor at Mass General Hospital, nice. um, Mass Gen Brigham, town in Boston. But um, so yeah, so from the get go, we set a game plan that, and for everyone, it might be different. So depending on, you know, the state of your, your, your issue, you might have time um, on my side, I didn't have time to, you know, press pause, reevaluate. It was literally within the time frame of my diagnosis to my surgery to remove my tumor and wound up being of a, a host of other things they needed to do um, medically. Um, it was two weeks. Mm. So we prepared from that day one office visit. Um, and I brought my husband in on this discussion as well. So mm-hmm. this was during COVID. So this was, um, you know, January, the beginning of January is when I met with my oncologist. My husband couldn't be there physically, but I had him on FaceTime. Yeah. So he was in the car listening um, because you will be faced with a host of emotions when you're, you're hearing not only the issue you have, the medical issue you have, but then also all the things they might have to do to you. Mm. (laughs) And you're like, oh my God, I'm signing off on everything but the kitchen sink being removed from my body right now. Um, And I have to be okay with that. Um, But then with so doing and and knowing that these were all potentialities, um, what am I gonna do after Mm -hmm. if it does happen? So um, for me, I, I, I planned, I was like, all right, if these things happen, this is what I'm going to have to do, but I can't let that kind of break me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I have to power through it. And honestly, and my husband laughs and so does my doctor when I say this, but I treated it like I had a cold, <laughs> right? I've got cancer. Okay. I'm going to get over it. Yeah. What's your time frame? How many rounds of chemo? Okay, so you're saying by the summer, I'll be all good. Yeah. So that's the way I looked at it. And I mean, honestly, I had my last round of chemotherapy. I had six rounds um, at the end of June. It was June 24th. You'll never forget the day. Um, And 
I was back at work, although virtually, um, right after the 4th of July. Mm. And I was, didn't have any hair, didn't have eyebrows or eyelashes. Thank God they're back and coming back. Um, but, you know, I did things virtually and took things slow. Um, but it was also not so much that my, my job was pushing me to return. It was done so at that point because there's only so much thinking about my own condition and getting out of your own head that is healthy for you. Yeah. So having a focus other than HGTV yeah. <laughs> and be, you know, other people's problems and helping other patients and, you know, people with their lives and get things that they need was helpful for me. Yeah. Um, so my, my pushing going back when I did where I could have stayed out longer was to, if my end goal is to be healthy, then having a healthy mind um, was also important to me mm. and a focus as well as, you know, having a healthy body. So, um, but in so doing, like, you just have to be an advocate for yourself. So once again, this is being driven. So yes. whether I was, I was an advocate throughout, you know, my treatment as to, um, okay. So I wound up having to have a colostomy, um, which for your, your viewers, if they're not sure what that is. So basically they had to take a a section of my colon out um, that was cancerous. So, and then it was too short to reconnect so that you have normal, you know, bodily flow. Yeah. Um, so they basically squeeze a part of your colon through your abdominal muscles um, and put it on the outside of your body. Yeah. And then you have a pouch that you wear. So this is where you have your bowel movement. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I remember on the list that it was a potentiality, but I will, I mean, when I woke up and they were like, so we had to remove your spleen and your appendix and you have a colostomy. That's all I heard after that. Yeah. I was like, I was devastated. I bawled. Um, he didn't explain that it was temporary, which okay. uh, my doctor, he did, Yeah, but it's still, I mean, I couldn't look at it at first, yeah. you know, they have an ostomy nurse come in and she wants to show, show you how to take care of it. And, and I was just like, uh, I just can't right now. And so know your limits. And there are right. the times that you have to say no, and you're, you won't be ready for that. And that's okay. You know, and so while she was going through it, I was, you know, looking at everything else on the, the walls um, in, the, in, the, in the hospital room. But halfway through it, I was just like, Elaine, grow up. And I turned and I, and I watched and I looked at it. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. So I just, you know, for me, I'm like, I just have to get past things once again. If I know I'm going to have to deal with this, why am I being a baby and not looking at it right this second? Mm. I've changed dirty diapers. I can do this. Uh, right. right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so just being an advocate for your care, um, you know, the timing of, you know, my chemo, um, I, they were originally going to push it out later for me to start post-recovery. And I asked for it sooner. Um, as long as there was no harm that I was doing and that I was physically capable of going through it successfully, they agreed and saw no reason why not to, but they yeah. were going, they were going to provide me with a, a longer, you know, window to start the treatment. So luckily, and thank God, you know, I responded 
well and recovered quickly from surgery um, to start, you know. Yeah, um, I love this. So. The moral of this piece to everything that you just shared is um, the, the big piece is be an advocate for yourself and to, and how to be an advocate is asking questions. If you're, if it, and if you're like, well, what questions do I ask? Well, who, what, when, where, why, how start there, right? Start mm-hmm. with the, who, the, what, the, when, the, why, or the, why, and the, how, and then you get to get to the deeper questions. Um, and yeah. then I, there's actually another piece to this that is uh, coming up. And I think even though I'm more of an introvert, I still have this sense of assertive communication where when I know what I know, like it, it's, I'm saying it. And sometimes it, it, people say it's abrupt and it's aggressive and whatever else. Often what I realize is that's because of how they're receiving it, not because of how I'm communicating it. Um, so there's a great book called when I say no, I feel guilty. Um, and when it comes to your health and, and your body and anything you're craving to have, um, yes, there's doctors who are educated. We want to respect the people that we're working with or that are working with us. We want to respect their education, but we also deserve to be informed as, as people who need their service. Um, you are a very critical part of your care team. Exactly. Always remember that. Yes. That's so, awesome. you know, and, um, t- to your point, and I'm sorry, I'm having a chemo brain moment. <laughs> No worries. Um, asking questions and being assertive, assertive communication. Yes. And it's, it, oh, yes. Thank you. So um, I think it's one of those things we learned as, um, you know, children. I want to say probably like kindergarten yeah. or elementary school when they're like, there's no such thing as a dumb question or a stupid question. Always ask them. I mean, nothing is truer. And I think you're, when, when you're speaking to someone who is, you know, whether it's a physician or, or your, your manager, um, someone in law, I don't, I don't care who that you see it, that you put on a position of um, being an authority figure, right? Yeah. Um, know that when you ask them questions so that you're informed to have a better conversation, a more informed and productive conversation with them, they appreciate that it's not going to be a hindrance. And unfortunately, I feel that many times for for some women that we, we get put into like a box of where we, you know, be respectful and be quiet and don't ask that and, you know, just listen. No, no. (laughs) You know, um, it is 2021. Yeah. and it's it's very important when you when you're thinking about your bodies and those little bodies, especially as moms. That I mean, that was always in the forefront of my mind that I have to get through this to be there for my kids and to show my kids that they can get through something like this. And of course, having that whole discussion of you know the c word with my children was not fun, yeah. um, and their experience throughout this was not fun. And honestly, they're still getting through it. Um, because we're still going through it. I just started my recovery. And I mean, I'm very thankful, you know, the surgery went well, they removed everything, chemo zapped everything. And my last scans in July, there's no evidence of disease. But with this disease, because it it is known as ovarian cancer is still one of the top five cancers for women um, in the United States that and actually, I want to say globally, that that seen as a killer. 
and ovarian cancer in particular is known as the silent killer. So, and it's not only because it's happening inside of our bodies and we don't know that it's happening. And unless you're going for your yearly exam, you still might not know what's happening. Um, Unless you're feeling that pain and, and recognize some of the symptoms, which can easily get brushed off as anything else because it's bloating, it's being um, full um, quickly, early. So if you just start eating dinner and you're full or you should have been eating dinner and you're like, you're not even hungry, Mm. um, that can be a symptom. You know, abdominal pains, pelvic pains, we easily can brush them off as, oh, they're cramps or, Mm. you know, oh, it has to have been something that I ate, which was my first, you know, thought when I started having pains. changes in our bowel movements who thinks that that can be a sign that you know ovarian cancer might be you know happening in our bodies and you know heightened fatigue we're all tired we're all like all over the place with you know being a mom a wife uh, even a being a single person trying to juggle everything with no kids that's still a lot that's going on in our lives that oftentimes women were silent and I think it's a silent killer, not just because it's hard to diagnose, but it also because women in our society have been taught to be silent mm. and been taught to be silent about our, our problems and then silent about trying to resolve them. Yeah. So, you know, my hope today with our discussion is that um, I help others find their voice Mm-hmm. Um, you know, encourage, empower, you know, other women to, to speak to their husband, speak to their brother, it could be their wife or their daughter, mm-hmm. because unfortunately, and honestly, it was, you know, my own ignorance at the time when I was diagnosed, I really only thought that, you know, older women get ovarian cancer. The yeah. average age of an ovarian cancer patient is 75. You know, so I was seen as being very young at 47 to to have it and have it be so advanced. Mm. Um, I mean, luckily, unluckily, I say luckily for me, I think that worked in my favor because I was generally healthier. Um, I didn't have a lot of other comorbidities that can happen when we, you know, advance in age. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, where was I going? See? Yeah, it's okay. Same here too with my brain fog. Um, Your voice, having your voice as a person, your goal and and helping people have your voice and and noticing the signs. And when you think, oh, well, what's this? And then what's this? And then what's this? It's like, wait a minute, I probably should be asking more questions. You know, when I got sick, I I had a, a, a day of hiking and then like crash, couldn't get out of bed, blood pressure, dizzy, almost fainting. Like I had a significant amount of rush of symptoms, but I had had symptoms prior to uh, coming drastically all at once. I had had all these symptoms all along and I just chalked it up to having kids and nursing and all of these different things. And I have even asked, like I had an incident as a kid that I want to investigate 
And there, uh, several doctors were like, there's nothing that it's causing you problems right now for, so there's no need to investigate. There's nothing to investigate. No, there is something to investigate. And lo and behold, now I have this huge significant issue that is affecting my ability to be a mom and a business owner and a wife and all the other things that I crave to be in my world. Um, because I never actually used my voice and stood up and stood my grounds. I was like, no, I need to investigate this. I need to figure out what these symptoms are. And then my doctor even had the nerve to say, why didn't you tell me all this was happening? It's like, I thought that I did. And I always thought it was because I had children back to back and was nursing back to back. Right. So now that I'm done being pregnant and I'm done nursing, my body is adjusting back to normal and normal is, is not normal by any means. The, um, so Mm -hmm. Because yeah. sometimes, and it's funny, um, cause we'll explain things that are going on or, or t- trying to talk about our symptoms, but then we'll also give a rationale as to what we think it is. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things where we all should just stop at that point and just say, no, these are my symptoms. I'm not going to tell you why I think it's happening because if you say that, then they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And it can kind of get dismissed, but if we just kind of list things as, and, and think how, like the person we're communicating with thinks, right? So this goes back to your point earlier about it not necessarily be what you're communicating, but how someone else is receiving it. That sometimes we need to change the way we communicate so that it's received in where it needs to be. be. Exactly. And it came back to me what my whole point was that I was saying. And that was... (laughs) That, um, so ovarian cancer can happen in adolescence as well. And it's, it's not even talked about as much. And of course the incidence is lower, Mm -hmm. but it's still something to be cognizant of, Mm -hmm. um, that it's not just a woman's problem. It's a female problem. Anyone with ovaries and, you know, baby girls are born with ovaries, um, you know, this can happen too, unfortunately. So, so well, before we end, I actually want to bring up um, that book again that I mentioned earlier, uh, because I think it's really important when we, when we juice people up with this energy and this excitement, they're like, I can do this now. I have my voice. And then they go to have their voice and they're sitting in front of somebody like shit. Now do I say, right? Like they, they don't know how to use that assertive communication. So the book is called when I say no, I feel guilty. And it gives very strategic ways to, uh, to communicate with somebody else who might have a different agenda, different story, different beliefs or understanding of the situation on the other end. And so when we think about, we present something to somebody, we're presenting our story, our beliefs, our pictures in our head, and then they come along and they present theirs. And it feels sometimes like it's a block in the road. Like we were on this road. Now all of a sudden here's this roadblock and we can't keep going. No, 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 no. Like there's, there's a way around the roadblock. It's just about keeping on figuring out how to stay on your road. And there's some, there's certain ways to do that through um, repetition. And I forget what they call it in the book, but it's constantly repeating yourself. Like, I understand that's how you feel. Let me rephrase it this way and, and validating the person, but then also making sure you have broken record. That's what it is. Having a broken record thing where you're like, wait a minute, let's try this again. Let's try this again. Let's try this again. And they even use an example of a woman who worked with a doctor for many years for a chronic condition um, and how she was afraid that he wasn't going to change her thing and she wanted to change it. And he, she had to ask four times before the doctor finally agreed to uh, a shift, a, a compromise that they were, they, they both decided to agree on. Um, so know that 
once isn't enough, twice isn't enough, you know, try several times before you are settling with what's happening. Don't just settle with the no that you might get the first time. Um, that's where your confidence and your belief in yourself and in your knowing really is, is going to do you well. Absolutely. I think there's a statistic that it takes 20 times for a person to hear something for them to actually act on it and infect change. Wow. So the more times you say it to them and, um, you know, stand your ground and, and, and I, my look at it with, with doctors and I do respect them. I, when I was little, I wanted to be one. Um, but no, is that, you know, you've hired this person to take care of your health. Their goal is to get you there. So where you might have differing opinions on how to get there, it's not to say that your opinion is wrong or theirs is wrong. It's about having that right fit with that physician And if you've tried to come to a compromise or come about with something that makes you feel better about what's going to be happening to your body and they're not on board, fire them. Right. Bye-bye. Go to another physician. Yeah. You know, be that champion for yourself. Be that advocate for your health. Mm. Um, One of my, I belong to a um, support group for ovarian cancer survivors and one um, fellow member shared her experience, which was um, similar to the example you shared in that she, she's older. She had previously had um, a hysterectomy in her thirties. She's now in her sixties and she was thinking it, you know, after Dr. Google, which is horrible, don't do it, just try not to do it. But, um, you know, was thinking that, you know, these symptoms can be, you know, ovarian cancer and they poo-pooed her completely. That, that can't possibly be it. You don't have anything down there. So, you know, physicians, um, anyone of, of power, they're people too. Yeah, right. right. They don't know everything. Um, their experience is, is a culmination of a lot of factors, not only like their education, but the patients that they've come into contact and maybe they just happen, haven't happened to have a patient like you before. Right. So, um, you know, find someone who has, yeah, um, so true. you know, would be my advice for that. But just in general, just, you know, knowing that your opinion matters um, your voice matters, um, building support around you of your family, um, and friends, um, is amazing and so helpful. And I'm very humbled by my experience going through this by my, my village. Um, you know, some people who I didn't even think were that close of friends were just amazing and, um, you know, have done amazing things for, for myself and, and actually for, um, ovarian cancer research and done fundraisers and, you know, totally came out of the blue and uh, just amazing, amazing. So, um, know that there are people out there, um, you might have to do a little searching to find them to, to help you, you know, get to where you need, um, but a lot of people are willing. 
Mm -hmm. So where you think no one, no one's out there for me or no one can help me or how do I learn to do this? Once again, use your voice, just ask. Yeah. And I'm sure you're going to find one. So I love um, this. Hope that helped. It was amazingly helpful. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. I know time is the most precious thing that you have to spend right now. Um, so I appreciate that you're willing to share how to drive the outcomes that you want with others and how to make sure that you're getting your needs met uh, based on what you feel you deserve. Thank you for having me. And um, thank you to all your, your viewers for watching and good luck. Thanks.